We're live? Yeah, I think we're live. What up, my beautiful nerds? Today's special guest, the one, the only, Matt from... I need a better drum roll than this. Epic roll, baby! Epic roll. What up, Matt? What's up, buddy? How are you, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm just happy it's the end of the week, really. Fridays really... are fast, aren't they? Yeah, I'm so exhausted. What the... Let me ask you, how's the weather where we are right now? It's kind of overcast and cold um we get these like pockets of days you know every once in a while where it's like nice like in virginia you mm-hmm. have a few months of good weather because it's either like really humid and hot or you know overcast and um you get these little pockets between like spring and fall where it's kind of the best and wow. so right now yeah we're kind of um we're kind of still chilly and cold and overcast my parents live in uh Ranchos Palos Verdes in California. Mm. There, so their backyard overlooks the ocean and Captain mm. Island. So every day that I talk to them, they're happy to show me how <laughs> their background is, and it looks like London, England over here. So. Shit. Well, Matt, it's been two winter storms, uh, a couple of ice storms, and now it's starting to melt again in Montreal. But it's gonna freeze over again and be back to frozen hell soon. So I'm happy you have good weather today. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so, Matt. Before we get started, before we talk, we dive into the epic roll and this amazing gear you have. Actually, I'm a big fan of your hoodies and your bags. Hey, thanks. Man. This is so comfy. This is like a pajama for me, to be honest. It's it's like hybrid cotton, guys. It's really good on the chest they and around here. To say. How good in it, right? My wife said, wow, that's nice. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? It's not like jiu-jitsu related at all. She said, that's a nice hoodie. I'm like, yeah, so you not crazy. It is nice. That's awesome. Yeah, we Kudos wanted to make to sure we had really, you know, high the highest quality stuff possible without being insanely priced, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, Matt, this, I always have to ask people in their martial art, what drove you down this crazy path of pajama, strangling, wrestling, sweaty men, and all that crazy stuff? What possessed you, Matt? So, um... I think it was around, so I started jujitsu in 2005. Um, and I, I want to say it was kind of the popularization of the ultimate fighter show mm-hmm. that was out. You know, I, I was a fan of the UFC and I, um, I kind of got introduced to jujitsu as a byproduct through the UFC and through the ultimate mm-hmm. fighter. And I <clears throat> used to help run a school with, um, a good friend of mine named Salvatore, whose cousin was Kenny Florian. So mm-hmm. we had some really cool connections there and was able to get, you know, have some cool training experiences. And like two years after I started jujitsu, like the day after I got my blue belt, I had my first MMA fight and did that for a few years. And, um, but I think it was really that I just wanted to get back into martial arts. I did some as a kid, like Taekwondo kind of sort of mm-hmm. the path many, white children from America do is just <laughs> some Taekwondo. And, um, and it didn't, it didn't really resonate with me. There was nothing about it. But as I got older, I kind of recognized that self-defense as a life skill mm-hmm. is a non-negotiable, right? That's just yeah. like a thing that needed to be, I, I want to be able to take care of my family. I want to be able to protect myself. Um, and I didn't really get in too many altercations and fights and issues as I was growing up. So I was sort of interested about that primal side of me, like how well would I fare against, you know, another trained fighter in the ring where it's just, you know, somewhat reasonable. I'm not trying to go to a bar and get into a bar fight. It was just like against another martial artist, you know, how would that be? And 
Um, so I got to do that for a while, which was, you know, enlightening and uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. And um, I recognized that that wasn't going to be my career. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of checked that box and moved on and kept doing jujitsu. And now it's been, you know, almost 20 years. Look at you, Matt. And you mentioned Taekwondo. It brought me back like 20 years because that was my first introduction to like, I didn't do Taekwondo. It was my cousin who did Taekwondo, but he brought me to his, his, I guess you call it the dojo at that time. And I never forget that smell and like the intensity of it, the kicking. I'm like, oh, cool. I want to, I want to do this and be like a Power Ranger over here and learn some martial arts and stuff. But mind you, 20 plus years later, I finally got into jujitsu, but it's been marvelous. I, I love it. I, uh, I've gone through broken backs and all this stuff by not training. And now I'm back into the game and jujitsu is just a weird, weird sport, man. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's so hard to describe to people. Like I, I tell people you want to try jujitsu. Like, what is it? Like I show them stuff like videos. Like, no, it's to be a certain type of crazy to understand or like appreciate the craziness of jujitsu. Yeah. I think I, there's, you know, different reasons that people get involved in it, whether it's for self-defense or if it's mm-hmm. for fun or exercise or whatever, but very quickly, I think if you get into it and you like it, it becomes somewhat of an obsession in a sense that like most people that are doing jujitsu are total nerds about doing jujitsu and it just grabs yeah. a hold of you differently. And maybe it, with a little bit more intensity than, than other hobbies might, you know, um, and it's, it is, there's, I think it's a a mix of things, camaraderie, you know, the, the culture of what, of, of, um, the people that you get exposed to the respect that you have Mm. for people who also train because you know how hard it is, you know, how, how much, you know, time and energy goes into it and how emotionally and physically draining it can be. So there's like a mutual respect and camaraderie and just fun and exciting, you know, part of it because it's, it's a very primal thing for us. And in a normal day-to-day schedule for most people, that's just like not an element that's usually included in, in their day-to-day. So it's something very unique and, you know, um, tribal and just cool about it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it. And I can't honestly imagine my life without jujitsu for sure. Oh, but was there ever like a moment where, cause I have a follow-up, I have a follow-up question with this. Cause it's, it's been on my mind for a couple of weeks and I want to ask you, I thought about it. Was there ever a moment that you're like, I'm going to quit. <laughs> like I had enough of this pain. Um, not, not really. I don't think I ever wanted to quit because maybe a little bit of my ego, like I always wanted to, everything that I did in my life, I kind of did to an extreme you know, version of it. Like Mm -hmm. I I wasn't just like, I, you know, got into riding, you know, dirt bikes and raced in the Baja 500 and raced in these big events. And it was just, you know, I did bodybuilding, but I competed, I did, you know, jujitsu, but I wanted to fight MMA. It was just kind of the, like, always that was like sort of my mindset. So quitting wasn't really an option, but I, but I noticed that I would have um, plateaus at almost Mm -hmm. every belt where I'd feel like I kind of maxed out my learning, couldn't learn anymore. But retrospectively, I look back at that and I see that the way we were learning techniques was was 
not by following a curriculum or any sort of modalities. It was just sort of like today's triangles, tomorrow's ankle locks, yeah. scissor sweep. So there wasn't much of a connection between them. And it wasn't until um, I started training where I am now with um, our academy where I saw the results of training like that. I saw it with my mm -hmm. son, I saw it with my teammates and even my own jujitsu. And, and when you're putting things together in a certain way, um, it, it eliminates a lot of that feeling, you know, like I'm in a plateau or I'm not yeah. getting better because by the time even one of our, you know, white belts or blue belts comes out of a, uh, you know, like back series, they're going to be way more proficient than just like a normal person who yeah. move or position from the back that day. Right. They understand it a little bit more integrally. There's a lot more practice and emphasis on it. So probably if I was following that type of a training regimen, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have experienced that as much, but there were definitely mm -hmm. times where I was like, you know, I always felt good and competent, but I was feeling like it was going to take something big to, have me jump over the hurdle, the next big mm. thing, like the next big understanding or big epiphany in my game yeah. or, you know, so, so that was more of a little mental exercise, you know, of going through that. But, um, outside of that, no, man, I, I could never quit. <laughs> the reason why I'm asking that is because I hear this a lot and I, I make jokes about it, about the, the BJJ blue belts, the, the, the blue belt blues, is it a real disease? And sometimes I question myself. And I go up and down like the good days, bad days, good days, bad days. I'm like, what happened? Uh, last class I had was great. But the three classes before that, like, I started to question my jujitsu. Maybe I'm just having a bad night. Did you ever feel like you, you went down that path around like the blue belt stage? Yeah, there's blue and purple is interesting because I think there's a very clear distinction between those two belts. And mm -hmm. um and I think people that get into jujitsu, it's such a measure of your patience, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, for me, it took a long time to get my black belt. And I was, you know, I had mine even uh, held back from me for an extra year to two years, maybe more, um, and just had to go through that. So it was, it became less about the belt and just about getting good at jujitsu, because mm -hmm. even if I was a white belt, a blue belt, if I was good, you know, like that's great. I don't need to, I don't, I don't need to know everything, but, um, but I think that that's a interesting belt between blue and purple and you, and I have seen people over the years get frustrated or start to feel like, Hey man, I'm, I'm tapping out this purple belt or I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And why aren't I, you know, getting noticed or why yeah. am I getting promoted? And, um, and, and that's, that's never going to be a black and white issue because you have really big schools like Henry Gracie school where you have hundreds and hundreds of students. So imagine like an instructor trying to remember every one of those people. And like, did you cut, how's your guard passing? How's this? And that they have very standardized check-in processes and things yeah. that they've associated to time on the mat, equaling belts, which to a lot of people is sort of like, Oh, that's not cool because then it's just about showing up and not really mm -hmm. about your skills. But you have to look at it from like a, a business standpoint. It's very yeah. easy for a coach of 10 students to just keep an eye on everybody and go, yeah, I think, yeah. well, I think you're a brown belt or whatever. When you start really growing and expanding, you have to have some metrics and some other ways so that everybody feels like even though they're on their own journey, that they're still being monitored, they're still being watched over, they're still progressing. And 
Um, so I think that's a challenge of the, the you know, instructor, professor um, of those academies to, to watch out for it. But ultimately, if you're in a place where you feel like your professor is incapable or incompetent of, of judging your jujitsu, then mm-hmm. you're either an idiot yourself or you're in the mm-hmm. wrong school. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. You have to, you have to kind of just like submit to the process a little bit, you know, trust the process, find somewhere where you feel supported and, and, and uh, you can have a good time and just enjoy it. Um, because at the end of the day, unless you're trying to be some top level competitor, you know, you're probably doing this to stay in shape and to, you know, make new friends, to network, to maybe learn how some self-defense. So like just that can just be a really enjoyable process when you're not so consumed with, you know, where you are and uh, your progress. It's like Steve Martin has that quote, like, be so good that they can't ignore you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. That's that's it enjoy jujitsu, get good at it and you will be noticed and you'll, you know, and you'll progress and, and that'll just be the way it goes. No, for sure. I think like at a certain point, we all reach a, a level or, or sorry, a point in our life where we're like, we got to change something about ourselves. And for me, that's what happened. Like I hurt my back and uh, at the, luckily I found the school close to my home and they're awesome. They're, they're very supportive, great, great, uh, great people. Uh, I got back into shape. Now my son's five years old. He's at the age where he's really starting to like pay attention to me and the things I do. And I, uh, I had the courage, Matt, to uh, to say, you know what? I'm going to compete. Let me get it over with. Let's just see what the big deal is. And massive anxiety, all this stuff. I end up getting second place. Uh, I, was, I wasn't happy though because I wasn't happy with my performance. I don't think about the medal. I, was, I just wasn't happy with my performance. My wife was there. She was super happy. She's like, wow, second place. I'm like, no, it's my, not my best jiu-jitsu. But I came home. I get this, the medal to my son. He's been talking about jiu-jitsu often now, like jiu-jitsu, and he's starting boxing next week. So cool. he sees me performing. He sees me uh, doing these things now and training. Like, oh, dad, you're going to gym tonight and this and that. So it started off with me just like trying to get better shape. So I'm a good example for my son. Whereas now I'm at the level where, okay, now he sees me. And now I'm in, like, what I don't say, inspiring him to like do something too. And that's kind of cool. I find like competing has given me that. Like it just, it get, brought me out of my my box of being shy and scared all the time. And Matt, have you, have you ever, like, I'm sure, like, have you competed before? All the entire time I've been training, I've competed every single belt level. Yeah. Damn. All the time. Do you uh, still compete now or? Yeah. I have a fight scheduled. I have a super fight um, on February 10th, um, this evening jujitsu event called Copa elite. So they do, uh, they're doing a, like an absolute um, like eight man bracket. They have mm-hmm. a mixture of, um, no gi and gi fights so i'm doing i had to go up in my weight a little bit for this one because okay. i normally i'm like 170 to 100 well no like 175 to 185 pounds like i kind of okay. fluctuate. Right? so this was up to 200 so i've been trying to just eat a bunch of food and <laughs> get a little bit <laughs> yeah. right but um it's a you know ibjjf gi uh black belt match awesome. so yeah man i you know and i'm doing it my schedule is so hectic and mm-hmm. i don't get to um I wouldn't be able to follow a normal traditional training camp. Um, Mm. You know, like when I did IBJJF, um, my first IBJJF tournament as a black belt, um, I was training a lot more, but it's very hard and I'm 43. So like my body is, you know, has taken a beating. I have arthritis. I got broken bones. I got all kinds of issues. So I'm not doing this because, um, I'm trying to get any kind of notoriety or anything like that. It's just because I enjoy it because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a stress that you can't 
emulate and just practice. Like we get very comfortable rolling with the people we roll with and yeah. that. But like when I go and I travel around the world and I train with different academies, that's super exciting because that gives me a better gauge of my jujitsu when I'm actually like out there. And then you add the stress of a stage and, you know, an evening event and this whole thing. Like I was thinking about it today. I'm, I'm, I didn't get to, I did compete in MMA events like that, but a lot of the jujitsu tournaments that I did were, um, you know, like local ones around here, but they're mm-hmm. kind of like traditional stuff. Like I didn't get to do the, I mean, these evening events, these flow grappling events, these really cool ones that they have now. Um, I, you know, weren't, weren't even in existence, like when I mm-hmm. started. So, um, so I thought it was very cool that I can be in jujitsu this long and still be able to go out there and, um, and compete once in a while. And I just, you know, I had to just check my ego and what I'm capable of, what I, how often I can train because part of my training regimen is not training. Like my Ooh. body, you know what I mean? <laughs> recovery. It's like the yeah, not, recovery, yeah. not beating it up every day. I mean, we can, we go in there and roll for hours and, um, and usually it's fine, but I've got like bulging discs in my back. We've got all kinds of stuff and ailments and things I'm working past. Um, but I like to just, you know, put it out there bro, and be like, how, how's your, how's your jujitsu when you're, you know, not at your best and you're just, you know, you just mm. have to go out and perform. And I think those kind of physical and mental challenges, like keep you feeling youthful and alive and just, you know, and keeps your ego in check. And it's just, yeah, that's, that's like kind of how I operate. I don't know. Yeah. You know, when I, like I did my first competition, I, like I wasn't the biggest thing was there's like people around, right? There's like hundreds of people. Like, I'm used to like max like 20, 30 people in a room. Yeah. So this was huge. Like my heart was like pounding. My wife's like, are you okay? Everything. I was going to the bathroom <laughs> often. I was drinking a lot. I did a lot of rookie mistakes, whatever. But, uh, but at the end, regardless if I won a medal or not, uh, it was fun. Yeah. I got that uh, I want to come back again kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I, I get it now. Yeah. I get it, Matt. Yeah. It, I, it's fun, man. It is fun. I already signed up for another one in March, but I told my wife I'm signing up for at least five this year. She's like, what? Five? I'm like, yeah, I gotta. It's fun. Like, you had fun coming with me. This and that. We yeah. get to eat at places we don't uh, like. Red, there's a red, we don't have Red Lobster here in Montreal, but we have one like it was in Ontario, so a little bit further out. So, like, oh, we can go to like Red Lobster, Chick fil A, or all those kind of cool places we don't have here. I'm like, yeah, that's right. See, it's a win. Let's do more tournaments. There you go. Yeah, I think my first jiu-jitsu tournament when I started was a month after I started. Mm. You know, I was just like, let's try it. Let's go out there and, and just make it happen. And yeah, man, there's no, it, you know, at the end of the day, also when I started doing MMA, then jiu-jitsu tournaments were way less stressful too. Because I was like, mm. I'm going out there and I'm not getting punched in the face. I'm not, yeah. the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we could, we could just do some jiu-jitsu. We do that all the time. That's fun. You know, I'm not getting elbowed. I'm not getting need. Like, way less stress perspectively once I was, you know, once I kind of did that, then I was like, this is easier. So I've kind of yeah. just, you don't, I don't think you ever get rid of the nerves. I mean, I always, you know, no. I always, you know, ha- will have that and that'll be present. But a lot of it's like visualization and stuff beforehand. And it kind of, you know, puts me in a good space when I'm there, you know, cause I've already yeah. been there in my mind many times before we're even on stage. So I think it's healthy to be nervous. I'm always nervous for like, what I used to do, like photography for weddings, I used to get nervous every wedding. Uh, every podcast I do, I always get nervous just before. And now every role, I get nervous, but it's an exciting type of nervous. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. once the podcast is done or I'm talking about, like, I'm just so happy. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. It's like, okay, let me be on time. Let me make sure my camera works and everything. It's just like that, that beginning nervousness. Even with the jujitsu, as soon as I touched the mat and the rep was like, go, okay, cool. I'm like, 
everything yeah. just reset like, everything just like why was i stressing the whole time for nothing why did i lose sleep for this it's right. a local tournament right it's yeah. it's but i got something out of it regardless most i actually got to do this though you know like most people don't put themselves in these positions so it's respectable when you do you know it's like mm-hmm. test yourself man like a lot of times people don't want the ego check you know yeah that's it and i was happy to lose one match too because uh I made a, a, a crazy mistake, but uh, and I, I just lost the momentum and I slipped and he choked me out. But my wife's like, "Oh, you almost had him." I'm like, yeah, but but it, it reassures me, rechecks my. Okay, now I got to work on this and whatever. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I was so excited. The most thing I was stressed about was my wife actually, because my wife doesn't know, didn't know at the time what jujitsu was really all about. She was never used to that intensity, and since she saw me, she's like, "This is what you do." I'm like, "This is it, honey." Yeah. We're a bunch of savages. But I tell her, worst case, I just tap and that's it. There's like, I don't want to break everything. I have, I have to work the next day, kind of, you know. I need my arm. Exactly. I need it, Matt. Got to exactly. type on the keyboard and stuff. <laughs> ah, it's a crazy exactly. world of jiu-jitsu. Yeah, no. But Matt, as a, as a competitor and as a coach, I always like to ask people, there has to be something you love in jiu-jitsu and something you hate. What is... Let's start off what you love the most in jiu-jitsu, and then after what you hate, hate pisses you off the most in jiu-jitsu. What I love the most? Um, Besides strangling people. But that could be your answer, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, for me, personally, it just I just enjoy what we're doing. I enjoy fighting. Like, I enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, the combat aspect of it. Because, because again, it's so unique and so much different than all the day-to-day like things that we know that we do, you know, there's not like, like I could play basketball, I could do all these things, but like fighting another person is in a different category. And so when I think about going in and doing that and sharpening that skill, it's like rewarding on different levels. It's rewarding where I see, I started training my son when he was five. He's now an absolute monster. Like, Mm. I mean, he, you know, like, he got his blue belt at 17. I got mine at 27, you know? Um, and so he, uh, you can see, um, yeah, like I can see how that's positively affect him. I can look back and just see all of the people that I've met over the years. Then that like my life, my business partners, my friends are completely different because of jujitsu, you know, like mm-hmm. the whole path, like it changed a lot. Um, so I, I think I just, you can't really, I guess, bottle it up into to one specific thing. You know, I love that it keeps me in shape. I love that, you know, I, I feel good after I'm done doing it. I love the people I get to train with. And um, yeah, and getting my black belt was like one of my biggest accomplishments in my life, you know, because it's just not easy um, no. to do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just not easy. And so and to be competing the whole time, you know, throughout that process, I felt like kept me honest. And um so, so those are kind of all the aspects, I guess, that I love the most about it. Um, and as far as what I don't like about it, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't like when I see um, certain schools and coaches treat the academies like cults, like where mm. there's that bow to the instructor mentality and everything's this egotistical 
you know, I'm, I'm the man and you're the peasant and whatever, because it's like, well, actually I pay you to be here. So I'm your customer. (laughs) And in most businesses, if you give me bad customer service, I'm going to not be there and not, you know, do business with you again. But for some reason, jujitsu falls in this weird space where people get involved and then they just become subservient to their coaches and in a, um, toxic way, you know, and, and you, not that you see it all the time, but it's definitely out there. It's definitely, it definitely exists. Um, and I think it takes away from the sort of, you know, Mahalo, the sort of like, just, you know, brother and sisterhood sort of a vibe that you just has and, and makes it this culty, weird, egotistical, you know, narcissistic type of, of an environment. And, um, so I think that's probably, I mean, that's obviously not just jujitsu. There's, there's other martial arts, like yeah. my buddy Rob, you know, runs McDojo life. Yeah, yeah for sure. Let's talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, I mean, he, you know, gives plenty of examples of how this kind of stuff happens. So, and people use those, um, you know, positions of authority to, for, yeah. um, not such positive things. So, um, that's an unfortunate part because it always, when I think that people are going out and somebody's maybe giving jujitsu an opportunity and they're unfortunately in an area where maybe they have limited access to a lot of schools and they end up at a school where that's the case, you know, then that's their experience and that's their introduction to jujitsu. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people that went into that, those circumstances don't make it out with, you know, becoming lifelong jujitsu people. And that's sort yeah. of the tragic part of it is that had they been in a different, more positive environment, they would have had a different experience and then they would have, you know, probably kept it in their life um, and would have experienced all of the benefits that, you know, being a jujitsu person can, can give you. So. Yeah. I, I agree with that actually. Cause when I, when I chose my school, like I didn't do much homework. So I just looked at Google reviews, looked pretty good. It's five stars. All right. Next to my house. So far, so good. It's passing both tests. Right. But after a few years, like even like in the beginning, like when I rolled with my coach or just the people, it's somewhere where I can feel like I can just be myself. So I like to joke a lot, a lot, a lot. I swear a lot. I joke a lot. And my coach, he's super except with that. He was actually on my podcast a few weeks back. And right. he's just a guy I can talk to. I can open up with, joke with him and all that stuff. He'll just, he'll laugh it out or he'll just look at me with a weird face. But I can be myself with him. There's like no like, I'm the law kind of thing. And you right. have to do what I say. He's just like, he's like a chill guy. He's like your friend coach and I, I love that environment so i was really lucky to but there are some schools out there that, as you see on mcdojo life it's it's crazy i i can't believe some of the stuff i watch and but that raw posts it's man it's scary stuff out there it's I, I think stuff. some people don't even know what they don't know right they don't they yeah. don't even you know understand the way that these sort of you know situations can unfold and they just kind of walk in and you you sort of like are just falling in line right like if everybody yeah. else there is kissing the professor's ass and doing all this stuff and like oh okay i guess that's what we do here and so um yeah man i don't know i've seen both sides of it um we're our school right now is very relaxed it's you know very chill lots of different schools uh people from different academies come and train at our open mats because we're just kind of open and you know very cool with everybody so that's once i was a part of that i was like oh this is this is how it should be. This is way yeah. better. You know, it's the other experiences I've had where 
I'm like, this is not, <laughs> doesn't feel right in my soul, you know? <laughs> Let's put it this way. If my coach starts teaching us Tai Chi and we can knock people down with just looking at them, I'm going to start asking questions like, no, this is, this is not right. I've seen enough Dojo Life to know this is bullshit. <laughs> oh, dude. I got to, you know, I, I'm in the documentary that he's putting out. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I went out and filmed with him for like, uh, for like a week out in, um, Fresno when we, when he was filming and was at one of, you know, we did a seminar, the pressure tests and all that stuff. I, oh, oh yes. We thought, you know, and I've never, I mean, it was the craziest thing. Like I can't wait till it comes out because <laughs> people are going to lose. Yes. It's hilarious. I mean, the best stuff ever. dude. These I can only imagine. And when I spoke to Rob too, like it's, it's a long process, right? It's not just like you make a movie and that's it kind of thing. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. There was like refilming. There was a lot of stuff with COVID that interrupted. Things. Yeah. But it's, it's happening. It's going to finish. They've got, you know, Jaco Willink as an executive producer. On, yes. On yes. 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 I remember Awesome. And so super proud of him. He's, he's become a very, very good friend of mine. And Rob's been like uh, such a huge help and such a uh, awesome, just friend. Like that guy's just like a great friend, you know, and, yeah. and I was lucky enough to meet him kind of early on. And so we've been able to do some really fun stuff together. We got ADCC. We're going to be out there yeah. together. So yeah, always, always good times. So yeah, Rob's super chill. He came on my podcast when I first started. And uh, even when I messaged him, he'll, he'll like reply to my messages. Like, how do you reply to all your messages? He's like, dude, it takes me the whole day. <laughs> it's like, oh, and he's going to come back eventually. He's going to come back. He's just a super nice guy. He's like, uh, I'll make time for it to talk about martial arts. Like, for sure. Awesome. Man. You're he is, man. He's a great guy. He is. Oh man. And Oh, that's what I want to mention. Cause we spoke about Dojo life. There was one story I spoke to Rob about that is by far my favorite story in Dojo life. I don't know if you ever saw this clip. It was a sir who just did like Tai Chi by sitting on a couch. And I think I did see. Yeah. I think I saw it. He looked like a character from the 70s show. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the funny part. What scared me the most was he did his whole thing and, oh, he released the energy and this and that. But the people in the comments, and there was one guy in the comments saying, hey, man, I was there. It works. And holy crap. We are reaching a new level of – I can't believe – I am scared to, like – imagine the people going in this type of school. Oh, they do. It's it, – you, you just get them um... – you know, I talked to Rob about this a few times about like, that's why you had psychologists and different people interviewed in the documentary that were analyzing like, hey, how could you be this crazy? Like, how could yeah. you objectively be a human being like an adult and walking around the world and also think that this stuff is like normal? And you go, you just get bought in like you just, you know, people want to be part of something and they want to be part of a group. And and then, you know, they can latch on and those people feed into individuals um ignorance you mm-hmm. know lack of knowledge and and on their need to be accepted and so there are some really interesting points of how people sort of you know concoct these situations but then once they're in yeah they're like they're like playing dress up but you know we've seen examples where stuff gets put on tv and then people respond in a certain way so it's just you can just train people to kind of do what you want you know like that's why that's why you got to be uh you got to have um you know like a little bit of the ability to to look at things and And critical thinking yeah a little critical thinking ask questions does this really work should i be treated this way should i be hit on the head by my teacher is this abuse (laughs) like all these like we spent the first 20 minutes of that seminar that's in this documentary being shown how to wake somebody up from the 
chi punch that we're not going to do to them. So it was like, we literally spent time just, Oh, you got to, you know, you swat them on the head and pat their back and dance around, click some spoons together, whatever the, whatever the hell you're talking about. Uh, and, uh, and then all of a sudden they wake up and I'm like, are we, are we going to knock people out with this stuff? And he's like, well, no, we're not, I'm not at that level. Apparently there's like, he was, he was at the non grandmaster level where he couldn't knock people out, but he's, you know, fully bought in. He had the golden spoons, special oh, spoons, the God. pressure burns. He knew where to hit. Come it's on, wild. Matt. It's wild. Do your research. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, I'm out of the loop. <laughs> well, Matt, since we're talking about these dojos, but I want to ask you something else. Like, let's say outside of competing, was there ever a time that you that you had to use your like your martial arts, your jujitsu in a real life situation? Yeah, yeah, oh, there was damn. actually. Um, I lived in Nashville for a little bit, mm-hmm. so we opened up a restaurant um, off of Broadway. So if, anybody, if anybody's ever been to Nashville, there's the main strip is called Broadway. It's where like a lot of the bars and restaurants are. Restaurants, and there's First and Second Avenue. So we had a um, quick service Mexican restaurant on Second Avenue, and um, and Nashville was pretty docile, like. There was homeless people there. There was, you know, there was a lot of partying because it, you know, a lot of bachelorette parties and people coming in. And so it was, it was a little wild, but, but not too crazy, not too crazy. You'd see fights every now and then. And, um, I remember I was with my boss at the time when we were walking out on Broadway and we were on the other side of the street and we saw these two guys get into a fist fight and, Mm clearly both of them didn't know how to fight, but they're just swinging for the fences. And the one guy just gets clipped by, you know, sheer luck and knocks him out like standing and he falls and hits his head. And he's just like laying on the ground and I'm still watching. I'm like, ah, it wasn't, I mean, he kind of like went down. He didn't fall just straight back, but he sat up after he, you know, sort of came to a couple seconds and he's just sitting there on the ground with his legs stretched out, sitting up. And this guy who had just punched him ran at him like a football player and kicked him in the head, straight in the head like he was punting a football. Soccer kick style, yeah. That's oh, worst. dude, the guy was still those. like dazed and didn't even know what was going on. And he just got kicked in the face and his head hit the pavement and I'm across the street and it was a horrific sound that it made of his head hitting mm, the God. So immediately I was like, is this guy dead? Like what's going to, you know, what's going on? Because... Nobody's doing anything. So I, I run across the street and I go down to check this guy to just see, is he breathing? Is he alive? You know, what's, what's going on. And there happened to be like a nurse, um, was just, you know, out and about, like, I was like, Hey, is anybody a doctor? Is anybody a nurse? She said, I'm a nurse. So I brought her over and we're just mm-hmm. examining to see is like the back of his head split. Is he, you know, whatever. And this guy who just did that, still like riled up. Like he looked like maybe he was on some kind of drugs or something, but he was like, you know, he was hyped and, and he looked like he was about to fight these other people that were all very concerned that he might've just killed this man by, you know, doing this, but nobody's doing anything in my head. I thought, I don't want him to run off and not be Mm -hmm. held accountable for this. And I don't want him to hurt anybody else. And so and I'm standing over there and I, I look at my boss and I instinctively, I go, I, gi- I give him my phone and I go, Hey, hold this for me for a second. And I walk over to the guy and I kind of came at like a angle to him, 
put my arm around his head and I hip tossed him mm-hmm. heels to Jesus straight, you know, yeah. onto the ground. And, um, <laughs> and when we hit the ground, I, I had his arm behind his back and had a, like a reverse neon belly position on his back. Right. Nice. And he was yelling the whole time. I'm sorry, officer. I'm sorry, officer. He thought that I was a cop. <laughs> I was a cop. Right? <laughs> yeah. And as I did that and had him down, you know, people started to come and get involved and I was yelling at everybody to get off, you know, and, and back up because I, I wanted to like maintain control of this guy. And so um, I'm holding him there and he's a little busted up from hitting the ground, but like not, you know, nothing, nothing bad. And I look up and I see this whole cavalry of Nashville police officers on horses just Jesus. coming down the road, like fucking cavalry, bro. Just coming down the road. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like thinking I'm going to jail immediately I just <laughs> exactly. like, hey, because you're an idiot and just got involved in this situation. Now Bye, you're please. definitely going to jail. Yeah. And so I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm holding this guy. The cops are talking to everybody. And my, my boss goes to one of the cops. He's like, Hey man, what should my guy do here? Cause like at this point I'm literally holding this guy with like a Kimura grip on a reverse neon belly and holding him on the street. And the cops <laughs> looks at uh, my boss and goes, Oh no, just tell him to stay right there. He's doing a great job. Just keep doing it. <laughs> so I literally, so I held him there in that position controlled while the cops figured out what was up while they arrested him, handcuffed him, took him away and the ambulance came, took the other guy away, and literally one by one, I think there was five or six cops there, shook yeah. my hand and thanked me nice. and, and for, for like intervening in a way that wasn't me fighting. Because, bro, you, you know, you could hit somebody, clip somebody, they get knocked out and then hit their head on the pavement and yeah. their brain swells and then they die. Like that yeah. shit happens, you know? They could, yeah. So to be able to just go in and just sort of like, I don't know, again... I probably shouldn't have gotten involved at all, but there was just this like violent circle of stuff that was just erratic and I didn't know what was going to happen. And this guy was the X factor and all of that. And so I just thought like, okay, well this is, you know, whatever, this is what's going to happen. And just instinct, you know, kicked in and, and uh, it was like uh, one of those cool, you fix the situation kind of a moments and everybody was cool about it. And I was yeah. like, great. Probably wouldn't do that again. You know, I don't need to get involved again. But but yeah, so that was that was one time where I where I had to, you know, use jujitsu and it was very helpful. And I mean we see those Instagram posts all the time, right? Where you see cops like and people and they just have no idea how no to idea how to, no idea how to hold them. Pin. Nothing. Like where their weight should be, like just clueless. And the guys just get up and run away. Yeah. It's it's uh it's pretty unacceptable to be honest with you. Um so so yeah, so it was good and uh, I was excited about being, <laughs> being able to use that in a real world situation, but Oh, for sure. I'm sure the cops also took some notes down like okay, he held his head high like this. His knee yeah, was directly were, here. Yeah, they were they were very cool about it. So um I was surprised. I thought I was going to do. Yeah. Well, there you go. Jiu-jitsu it all paid off for yeah. this moment. For that moment. For that moment. <laughs> I can retire no, sh- but that's it's I like to ask that question because I haven't gotten into an altercation uh ever in my life ever, which is weird blessing bro it's a blessing it's it is a blessing though I tell my wife it's a blessing um uh, i'm, I'm ta- I told my wife it's probably people are scared the way I look, maybe with my tattoos and this and that, but as soon as I open my mouth like you hear my voice it's it's not 
scary at all. I, I don't have like a deep Sean Connery kind of voice that I always yeah. prayed for. This is my voice. So <laughs> clearly I'm not intimidating anybody with my voice. Yeah. But I do get scared when I see fights. Even though I have training now, I, I, it's not something I want to see. And it's not something I ever want to be in. I don't want to be in, in any fight ever. I think that's another reason why I never got into a fight because I don't want to be in a fight. But well, people do crazy shit too. Like yeah, you know, that too. people get stabbed, people get shot, you know, people get smashed with glass and cut. I mean, just like you don't know what that person's deal is and how willing they are and how much red they're going to see if you start really getting into it. So even yes. though I can have jujitsu, like I'm still not trying to get, you know, a bottle jammed in my neck or like shot or stabbed. Like I'll avoid a fight at any cost for sure. I don't, yeah. you know, it's it's people's ego when they're like, you watching too many John Wick movies and, you know, yeah. run around thinking you're going to beat everybody's ass. I, so, yeah, I for sure avoid it. But I will tell you, the honest truth is that I mm-hmm. walked around for most of my jujitsu life going, somebody fuck with me. Somebody fuck with me. Like, <laughs> I just want to one time. I just want to be able to, you know, like, like just, I just want to see how is it going? Because you have this, like karate kid we're gonna scrap on the beach and it's gonna be totally fine after we're done but that's as an adult it doesn't always go that way you know no. there's jail there's cops there's just so many things that go on so it's like always avoid fights um yeah. but just knowing that what i know for certain is mm-hmm. that if you've never been in a fight and if you're not trained in jujitsu and you fight me yeah like if you're you better be 300 pounds or something because you can't even conceive <laughs> yeah. like what jujitsu people can do with controlling somebody's body effortlessly. Like you're, you are, you're not going to accidentally like, you know, beat up a jujitsu black belt. Like it's just probably not going to happen. No. And even most jujitsu, I'd say even like blue belts, like people that have been training like two years or so and have a good, you're already like, knowledge wise and skill wise, like way ahead of the population. People have to rely on strength and, you know, just, going crazy to be able to combat that and we're we're just like do to do and six seconds yeah. later you're asleep and there's zero percent cardio that they have after one oh, baseball yeah. punch and they're already done like, okay this will be a fun ma- match oh, yeah it's 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 no good so yeah i'm i'm with you it's good that you haven't been in a fight but it's also good to just know that if you did you have better chances than if you were completely untrained. yeah right so to myself matt i feel like if it does happen by whatever means at least i know okay i have the upper hand but being a little bit older now, soon to be 38, with all my beautiful hair still, not really, guys, I'm bald, as you know. But uh, I'll have the upper hand, but I evaluate the situation always. Like, yeah. I'll look around, okay, is it really one guy? Is it a few guys? Okay. Do they have weapons? I have my child here, my son, my, my wife. Okay, let's uh, let's, tell you, let's just turn away. I'll be a coward today, and let's just walk away from this kind of yeah. thing. It's, it's scary because it happened. I mentioned on one of my other podcasts or maybe a few times where uh, when my wife was pregnant, uh, we were in a car and we're driving off and this person was like not moving. And then she just like stopped in the middle of the road or he stopped in the middle of the road. So I'm like, okay, honk. A little bit aggressive because like you're stopping in the middle of the road, uh, mister. And uh, yeah, he did a 360, came like revving his car all the way back, stopped the car like went in front of me, slammed the brakes and just looked at me like crazy like this. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell's wrong? Imagine you're crazy enough to do this. And he had his wife in the car too. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, this dude, is unstable is... human beings. Bro. That, that day really thought, made me think, okay, listen, I can't just, you know, 
even a honk nowadays, you'll trigger someone. <laughs> I was I was having this conversation about about this with my my buddy the other day, and I was like, we don't have polite honking. Like we don't have anything built in our car where it's just like a gesture. Like I'm just giving you a you know light screen. I mean, just a little, like a little sound that's not like a fuck you go and move, you know, like, like every honk you can only like, it's got one thing, which is like, I hate you go and move. Like it just comes off terribly. I'm like, we should have some polite honks, like a little, my car, nice thing about Tesla. They have this little feature Mm. where when the light turns green, there's a little chime in your car that just ding. Ah, So if you're doing something and distracted, I hear that. I go lights green. That's cool, but not everybody has that. And so yeah. you just can't – somebody sits there and there's a very short period of time where you're like, all right, this light's still green. They're not going. I don't want to yeah. be a dick, but I got to let them know. <laughs> but, the, you know, so you try to do like a half honk kind of a thing. Where yeah, yeah. But it like works out. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, dude. I, I, I think the world is in need of some polite honks. Yeah. I have that feature too. I think it's – well, for me, it has to be another car in front of me. And as soon as it, it moves, then it warns me. It tri- like it gives me a little triumph. Hmm. That's it's really good. I try also the uh, you flash the lights there, but that never works. They never see that. Even with LEDs, they don't see none of that. No, no. But lesson learned: even in your car with locked doors, you don't want to take a chance. Just drive off. Yeah. I'll never forget his face, man. It's like he was like, <laughs> "Am I in a real horror movie right now? Why does why do you want to k- kill me? I just honked at you because you stopped." Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. You don't know what's going on in that dude's life and like where you caught him. In that's day. it. And like, that's it. That's the unknown. It's just, it's not worth it. Like to go be a hero or whatever, man. I don't want any part of it. Keep my record strong. No fights. Yeah, man. Well, besides jujitsu, real fights. Like, I'm seeing like real life fights. Like people yeah. want to curve me. But now, Matt, I want to dive into the Epic Roll business. Yes, sir. How did you get into this? What made you want to start Epic Roll, Matt? Um, well, I wanted to make gear for myself selfishly in the beginning <laughs> because i had all of the jujitsu shirts um you know there was like there's always some companies out there but when you go to a jujitsu tournament mm-hmm. you'd see companies that are selling those jujitsu shirts that are more like novelty and there yeah. is a space for those that's fine like a starbucks knockoff or coca-cola or whatever like we all had the shirts it's totally fine um but i wanted to make something that was a little bit more of a lifestyle brand so that people could wear, you know, and it didn't have to be like this ironic, you know, Etsy type of a vibe of a shirt. And um, so I found out about drop shipping, which for people that don't know is the ability to sort of white label products that already exist and Mm -hmm. put your designs on it and then be able to sell it e-commerce without actually holding inventory. So Mm -hmm, I have over, you know, I think like 60 t-shirt designs uh, if I were to try to hold inventory on all of those t-shirt designs and all the sizes and the color, yeah, it would be out of business. It's yeah. hard enough to just do it with all of our geese and rash guards and short, mm. you know, I have this 2000 square foot um, headquarters here that where all of our inventory is and, and um, it's just, you know, it, it continues to to pile up. So it's, it would be very challenging. So drop shipping was great because it gave you the ability to really test designs without a huge yes. financial obligation. You don't get as much profit, but, what you save is a whole lot of headache and hassle and right. The testing so, mostly like, yeah, exactly. So, um, so I, I was rolling with a buddy of mine and as we were done, I was just like, Oh, that was an Epic roll. Like, you know, it was just sort of like fell out of my mouth ah. and <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was like, Oh, that's kind of a cool name, Epic roll. So I went home and checked on, you know, check the, um, 
URLs and and looked at everything and got the the web address, created the logo, um, and the goal was to just make some T-shirts to to begin with, and mm-hmm. like ranked T-shirts. So some of our designs have um, a little bit of a belt color here and here mm-hmm. for like black belt, purple belt, whatever. So I was kind of geared to make more like ranked gear since people are in these belts for so long. I thought I'd mm-hmm. have some gear that was a little bit more geared towards allowing people to sort of rep that that belt ranking throughout the time and then, you know, progress from there. So um, so I started making the T-shirts and put them out there and got some friends, you know, that liked it. And then over time, it was like, hey, do you make rash guards? Do you make anything else? And I was like, oh, I guess maybe we should make these things. And and slowly introduced product by product, um, you know, no gi stuff, gi stuff, more rash guards and, and the collection sort of evolved. And it was just organic because my full-time job has been real estate for the past almost 10 years. My wife and I have a real estate team. And so that's been it. This was a, this was like a side project that turned into a side hustle that turned into an entire other, you know, fully fledged business, um, and that now requires like a ton of time um, mm-hmm. to to participate in, which is amazing, which is great. Um, but completely just as a yeah, like a little side project to make some cool jujitsu shirts that I thought was <laughs> that I thought were comfortable and you know and I liked and I was a designer and so um, so for me I knew I had like a good design eye and kind of put that out there and hey man here we are here we are they are beautiful they are super comfy and like i told you before my wife who she looked at the hoodies and she's like wow those are nice hoodies that's all what i mean like jujitsu based she's like those are nice hoodies I'm like yeah. hey, thank you and i'm actually wearing this a lot because it's just super comfy i'll say like it's like a hybrid cotton uh i don't know what it is it's just soft on my yeah. body that's all i know because i hate all cotton like yeah. it's all bad you say it gets really warm and it fuzzes up but this like it's easy to wash. It just—it's a pajama. It's a—it's a fashionable, comfy pajama for me that looks good. Yeah, man. That's the best way I can describe it, man. Your hoodies. Your hoodies are top notch, dude. Thanks. Happy yeah. Well, our rash guards, our t-shirts, hoodies—you know—we had a lot of positive feedback from people about how they fit, and we use expensive products. Like that's the thing. A lot of companies, if if you're just looking at the profit margin, you're just going to be looking, what's the cheapest t-shirt I can get? And then you get one of those yeah. boxy Gildan bullshit shirts that like, yeah, Gildan, that's that it. That's nobody it. wants to wear that. That doesn't now they do make some like blends that are like decent, but you know, um, our, our, our shirts and, you know, next level Bella and canvas, certain ones are just higher quality. Um, and so we wanted that to be sort of the thing because it's not just about having lifestyle gear. It's about also making stuff that people really like and they really want to wear and is comfortable. So if you really like the brand and, and super comfortable, it's like two it of the lasts, most critical yeah. elements of getting people hooked on, you know, wanting to wear it. So um, it just, yeah, it just grew organically and through word of mouth and with very little budget, it was just all about networking, man. It's such networking is such an uh, important critical part for entrepreneurs and people trying to, grow businesses that that's that I put a huge emphasis on that from you know the beginning and that's mm-hmm. paid off dividends for sure oh for sure even just like your Instagram account I think if you guys don't know like I, I think we met through like my memes that's how initially how we met through my reels and my memes and at the time I remember a while back you're like around 20,000 followers out here well over 50,000 so it's like the progressions there you, you got a lot of big names there now it's holy crap it's it's wild man and and it's crazy such a such a wild series of events 
Um, I was watching last night some videos. I'll do these video logs on my phone just for me personally, because I'm yeah. um, writing a book and uh, and I want to be able to look back at these times and, and remember. And I was watching videos of me talking about, you know, how saying how I was going to somehow convince Zoltan to be my partner in Epic Bowl, <laughs> that I was going to do this, I was going to do that. And I'm looking at these things that were four four years ago, you know, five years ago, and now are all true and have all come to fruition. And, um, you know, I think once I saw a little, once I saw a little bit of a spark with the response in, in the community, I think mm-hmm. that encouraged me to keep going. And, you know, I created a relationship with Chewy really early on and, um, I got a little bit of street cred, I think from that. And, was just very organic. So when I would reach out to people on Instagram, I would just say, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I have. Um, you know, love to send you some stuff to check out, like no strings Mm. attached. You don't have to post things. You don't have to do anything. And so I took down that like barrier wall that people have where they feel like some obligation. If I, if you send me something now, I have to post it. Now I have to do this and that. I'm like, you don't have to do any of that. Just, you know, if you like it and if you want to post something cool. So I put Mm -hmm. it on them and, and, you know, that you'd get like one person and then someone else sees that. And and over time, man, we were sitting there. I remember doing this photo shoot out in LA. Um, and actually the photo shoot that we, you know, <laughs> all these, and nice. it was, I'm like sitting around, I'm like Mike Beltran and Michael Kroger and Nickelback and he, Jeff Glover, Crazy. all these different people. And I'm like, this is wild. Like, and these are like friends of mine who, genuinely want to help me succeed they genuinely love the brand they they're like constantly pushing it on their own and and that just came from not me approaching like a fanboy like us developing relationships and um so now it's it's invaluable to me because i have the most incredible people that i can call um and ask questions about social media about youtube about whatever it is that's going on because i know people that are doing everything to the best ability that they can yeah. they're the the experts in their field right and so it's kind of like your network you know dictates your net worth and you i surrounded myself by with people that were super successful and um like-minded and then amazing things happen you know because you can only do so much on your own so you really yeah. have to if you're growing a business you have to at a certain point look at how you can expand and 10x that and when Zo and uh, Heather became partners that that was a milestone for sure um, with us and it and it really showed me like there's some people out there that really have a deep rooted belief in this brand and and me and I remember Zo telling me that he was genuinely impressed with the fact that you know as one guy I built this brand where he kept meeting people that were either a wearing epic role or knew me and liked me and mm-hmm. were supporting me. And that was impressive to him, uh, to somebody who has accomplished so much in his life. That was humbling for me to hear and, f- and feeling great knowing that like he's, he was buying into this company and, and buying into me. Like he, he mm-hmm. believed in what I was doing and knew that with support and help and having the right team behind that we could make this the largest jiu-jitsu brand on the planet for sure. Damn. Look at you now. Growing, man. Growing, man. It's awesome. It is, man. Nobody cares for a long time, but, um. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, man. But I love it, and and I and I know that uh, I'm gonna I'm getting an opportunity to make an impact in like the culture of jujitsu. You know, yes. do something that's, yeah. that will be remembered for you know a long time 
you know, just like tap out was a brand that whether people think it's corny now or not, was like, you know, those guys yeah. started that from the back of their car, just slinging shirts in the parking lot at UFC events and became a hundred million dollar, you know, company and, and this brand. So we, you know, we're on a, we're on an awesome path and we have so much opportunity in front of us and it's a very exciting time. Awesome. Well said, Matt. Well said. Well, Matt, I just want to say thank you very much for jumping on my podcast with your busy schedule. Absolutely. Guys, look at this. Look at this again. So soft, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, when I like something a lot, I talk about it a lot. That's great. Really uh, you can talk I've been wearing this a lot. lot. Yeah, no, that's great. So, Matt, I'll say thank you again. Until next time. All right, nerds. Have a good day. Keep rolling. Don't stop. Peace. Oh,